I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we're talking about the NXT episode that originally aired on July 10th, 2013. In this episode, old people. (laughs) Old people everywhere. Side note... (laughs) Do not tell William Regal I called him old. He will murder me. (laughs) Welcome to episode eight of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we learned about suplexes. Chris Christopherson's son vanished into thin air, and Cesaro embraced anti-immigration policy back when that was still a thing you could sort of get away with. This episode, things are fortunately less problematic, though I suspect Bob is not happy with some of the match results. Nope. (laughs) We'll find out in Bob's Breakdown, or right now, but also in Bob's Breakdown. (laughs) Before getting into these sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling, followed by the wrestling term of the week, another edition of Guess the Gimmick, and as always, the Cheap Pop Quiz. But first, it's time to see if Bob has reached the coveted 10 points necessary to make me read a romance novel or fanfic of her choice. So let's get to the answers from last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. Bob, do you think you've done it? I do. I I feel I am 90% sure that I did it, but... I don't know. If I didn't, I feel I'm very close. Okay. All right. So question number one from last episode. What is a handicap match? Is it A, a match where one or more wrestlers have one or more arms tied behind their back? B, a match where one or more wrestlers have their legs tied together? C, a match where two wrestlers are tied together with a length of rope or chain attached to their wrists? Or D, a match where one wrestler takes on a team of two wrestlers, or two take on three, etc. Any match in which one side is outnumbered. Bob, you selected D, and you were correct. Yeah! As we saw in this episode. A handicap match is uh, when, in this case, one wrestler, Mason Ryan, takes on two wrestlers, Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy. Nine points, Bob. You're one away. Let's move on to question two from last episode. Next week, you will be meeting the legendary Ric Flair, one of the single greatest professional wrestlers, if not the single greatest of all time. Why is he here? Is it A, he urgently needs to talk about something with his old friend, NXT General Manager Dusty Rhodes? Is it B, he's providing moral support for his daughter who is about to have her first match in NXT? Is it C, He's hunting one of his enemies, a sinister villain, who has violated all of Flair's fashion rules and must now answer to the fashion policeman himself, Ric Flair, and he believes the rogue is here in NXT. Or is it D, he's decided that, quote, to be the man, you have to beat the man, and is challenging NXT champion Bo Dallas to a wrestling match. Now in this one, Bob, you said you thought the answer might be B, but you were going with C because you loved that answer so much. 
Yes, I wanted it to be C so badly. I still want... I hold out hope that C could be true in the future. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I want it to be C as well, but it is B. He is there to provide moral support to his daughter uh, in her debut. Good dad. Uh, and so that was incorrect, Bob. A avoiding number 10 for now, but we have one more question. Okay. Question number three from last episode. Next week, you will hear a backstage promo from William Regal. Does he A, hit on Renee Young, but classy like a gentleman? B, call Adrian Neville a Geordie because he comes from Newcastle and make fun of his accent? C, tell a story about how when he was born, the doctor slapped him on the butt and baby William Regal broke the doctor's fingers and gave him a headbutt? Or was it D, all of the above? Bob? You went with D, all of the above. And because William Regal is a wonderful, magical human being, that is correct. <laughs> yes, I did it. Oh, my you God. You have successfully done it. You got 10 points in fewer than 10 episodes, which makes me think I should make these questions a little bit harder. But we'll <laughs> see. All right. So, Bob, you think about what I'm going to be reading. And uh, on the next episode of this show, I will have read it. Well, oh. maybe not the next... I was going to say, I don't think that's that's a little too fast, I think. Maybe not the next episode, but I will definitely be reading it soon and we will come back very shortly with my opinion on that. And I'll tell you what I think of it. So you give that some thought. Let me know what you want me to to put into my brain and I will put it there. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that, Bob. And we're going to go for another one starting with this episode. You're going to start over. And so Bob will get the chance on this episode to restart uh, and get another 10 points and make me read yet another thing that she chooses. So uh, those were the answers to last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. And now it is time for Bob's Breakdown. Match one. Summer Ray comes out, does glamorous hair flips. The crowd is cautiously aroused. <laughs> Emma comes out to a sea of bubbles and the crowd is so dang happy and starts chanting Emma, Emma before the match even starts. Emma, clearly the baby face starts out strong for about two seconds mm -hmm. before Summer Rae immediately dips into the well of mean girlness and begins hair grabbing slamming her face into everything nearby yelling into Emma's face Summer Rae uses her legs to keep Emma away and get leverage in submissions, like just ripping on Emma's arm. Miles, yeah. I gotta know, is Summer Rae mostly into submission holds? Because she does a lot of long holds and then screaming. Yeah, she is mostly into submission holds and just generally controlling her opponents, which I believe, I, I could be mistaken about this, but I believe the idea is because her limbs are so long, like her legs especially, are yeah. really, she's got some serious reach with her arms and her legs. And so I think the idea behind her character as a wrestler is that she uses that length to her advantage, which plays into her style of being a little bit more technical and a little bit more submission heavy. Okay. Yeah, I did notice that whereas I, I haven't seen anybody else use their legs as much to keep somebody else away. Or if they have, they've never been able to keep them far enough away that they weren't in reach by somebody else. But yeah, yeah. she's she's leggy. 
Yeah, she really is. So Emma regains some control, slipping away from Summer Ray's attacks before getting her in the corner to work her over with some body slams. And then the match ends pretty fast, but in the most deliciously fan service and fan ficky way ever, Summer Ray back on the mat, grabs Emma's thighs to get her down. But instead, Emma sinks to her knees, straddling Summer Ray's face, and starts <laughs> doing her Emma dance. Summer Ray flips Emma onto her back for a pin, but Emma seesaws it back, arms wrapped around Summer Ray's thighs, and then slides to get her ass right in Summer Ray's face, wriggling those cheeks while the ref counts. <laughs> Emma wins via face sitting. <laughs> Not a sentence I thought I would end up saying <laughs> in the course of this podcast. And yet, here we are. That, yeah, I mean, the match does end with a series of uh, pinfall attempts. <laughs> Is that what they're called? Pre- I, mean, I don't know. Yes. I don't think so. As we've talked about on the show before... You know, there's a difference between sort of your winning by hitting your opponent with a big move or a finishing move and then just like pitting them while they lie there unconscious and winning by simply out wrestling them and pinning their shoulders to the mat. And that's what they're going for with the sequence here at the end, which, you know, is is nice um, just because it shows off both women's technical skills and considering they are both, you know, technical wrestling submission heavy wrestlers i think it it works really well and it was it was i don't know i thought it was well done i thought so too yeah and also a little bit sexy but yeah it was i i was sort of like oh this was just they just wrote fan service maybe it's just emma matches that are hella fucky what do you think maybe so because i but it emma has such innocence to her that it doesn't come across as like lurid or gross it comes across as like playful but i mean still very i mean if i saw this with anybody else i would be like how is this on television (laughs) and then oh yes but wait the fanfic doesn't stop there and in rage summer ray keeps attacking emma but Paige bounds into the ring to scare summer ray off and pull emma to her feet they look at each other for a bit very swashbuckling heroine of Paige. I'm a little bit in love with this unconventional pairing. Mm-hmm. Miles. Ship name? Bubblegoth. Oh, I love it. It was originally Black Sunshine. I went, no, Bubblegoth is a billion times better. I Yeah, I like Bubblegoth a lot better. Ugh. So, everybody, send me your fix. It, literally, I, yeah, I'm, those must exist. They d- they have to. I would be shocked. Yeah. I haven't checked, but they better. And then, Miles, is this a typical move of an upcoming opponent, what Paige did? Or is this telling a specific story about Paige as the kind of opponent she is? Yeah, I think it's more about who Paige is as a character. You know, both Paige and Emma are baby faces. Mm-hmm. They are now scheduled to meet one another in uh, the finals of the Women's Championship Tournament. So there's not going to be a whole lot of drama in terms of like, you know, one is good and one is evil. Um, so I think what's happening here is that the narrative is telling us about who Paige is in terms of she's willing to come to the defense of someone that she's going to be fighting in a couple of weeks. And then also it's kind of setting up a sort of, you know, maybe an uneasy friendship. 
right? Like maybe a you know, oh well, when when they fight, they're gonna like respect each other, but Aww. they still have to fight each other. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so anime. I don't actually even remember if that's the story they're setting up. I'm just guessing at this point. Okay, yeah, I was kind of hoping that that would be the direction that it goes, but I am. I'm getting some very strong uh, My Hero Academia vibes from it, which I don't think you would enjoy it as a show, but it definitely has some overlap with these themes. Sure. And it could also be a thing where it's like Paige being like, look, I don't really care about you, but I, I'm here to do the right thing. You know, I'm not mm. going to I'm not going to sit back and watch someone attack you from behind, no matter how I feel about you or whether or not we're fighting in the future. Nice. Well, I'm here for it. And I am cautiously optimistic about where this relationship could go. OK, backstage, Bailey and Dusty Rhodes chilling out. But holy shit, Ric Flair is there. And I am aware of who that is. Not very aware, but a little bit aware. (laughs) And he brought his Amazonian daughter, Charlotte Flair. (laughs) He did. Yeah, she's she's tall. She's very tall. I don't know how tall she actually is, but in like whenever I've seen pictures of her and stuff, she looks like she's maybe as tall as I am. She might be 5'10", maybe a little taller even. It could just be that everybody else she's fighting is not that tall. Yeah, I mean, it's true that you don't see a lot of, like, super huge women in, in yeah, wrestling a lot of the time. Yeah, which is a shame, because, like, I want to see people who are, like, six foot. Now she is 5'10". Dang, all right. So I could be eye to eye with her. Yeah. I do not think I could take her in any kind of fight. <laughs> no, probably not. Neither could I, for that yeah, matter. Yeah, I, we all have to bow to uh, the fact that Charlotte Flair is legitimately, yeah, an Amazon. Bowing down to uh, Charlotte Flair. I'm going to keep that in mind for the future. Okay. Oh, so Ric Flair is there to set her up for her first match. And Bailey volunteers as tribute. Uh-huh. So next week, it's going to be Charlotte Flair versus Bailey. And then Bailey shyly asks Ric Flair for a woo. He gives her a few. Oh, I know. But at first, Charlotte's like, oh, God, no, not the woo. <laughs> Come on, Dad, don't do this. And it's <laughs> so, so cute. And then, yeah, of course, we get a woo, and it's great. And I love Bailey's it. reaction to it is tremendous. It's so beautiful. All right, match two. Bouncy Doggy Boy Zane is back up against unconventional Disney princess Leo Kruger. <laughs> they both come out. Leo Kruger says his own name to the crowd, which was a real interesting move on his part. They're sort of like, Zane or Sammy, Sammy. And he's just like, Kruger. I was like, oh, damn. I, don't, I haven't had this kind of balls my entire life to just go like, nah, you're chanting for somebody else. I'm just going to scream my own name. <laughs> so Zane starts with high energy, getting some early moves on Kruger, who goes to the rope and calmly puts a hand up to stop Zane's next move and then gives him this appraising look. And moves in to get Zane in an arm twist. Then Zane forward flips, pops up off the mat just enough to let momentum help as he pulls Kruger in a flip across his own body and into the corner. I was trying to think of a way to describe it. I think it's the physical equivalent of Bugs Bunny pulling the duck season, rabbit season gag to get Daffy Duck to say duck season. (laughs) Sammy Zane gets Kruger with his own arm hold. And I cannot emphasize enough the extent to which I suspect Zane is an escapee from Toontown hiding in a human disguise. Oh, my God. I love that fanfic. I just don't think he's real, guys. I don't think Sammy Zane's a real person. I don't know what he is, but he's, I just don't think he's human. He's something else, guys. 
I'm trying to remember the move you're talking about when he flips Kruger over his own body. I think what you're referring to is called an arm drag, but I don't know for sure. Oh, that sounds like something a shark would do. I like it. Yeah. So Kruger moves with such deliberate purpose and provides this incredible contrast to cartoon doggy Zane, who literally does some polka dancing moves yelling, as he dances (laughs) around Kruger before pulling him to the mat. You know, Disney Princess Kruger is having a rough time. And goes out of the ring to collect himself, presumably sing his I want song to sort of center himself a little bit. And we come back from the break. Zane is now in the corner being taken apart by Kruger, agonizing submission move after submission move. Miles, this match goes on for maybe more than 10 minutes. That seems long for a match early in that part of the show. Is the length of the match indicative of anything or where it falls in the schedule? I mean, it's it's a pretty long match for a for a match on TV, um, mm-hmm. especially a match on TV that's not the main event. The main event tends to get the most time. But the only thing that it's really indicative of is that, you know, the company has faith in the performers. Wow. Um, usually as a wrestler, you know, not as a character, but as an actual like performer, what you want more than anything is more time. So they got almost 15 minutes in this match. And that's yeah. you know really good for a TV match. So. It just shows faith in the performers and that they're doing well. And, you know, hopefully that they have a story worth going that long. Cool. I mean, they definitely used the time well. It was a pretty compelling match. All right. We get more arm torture. And then Zane manages to like crawl to the edge and hooks his toes on the rope enough to get the ref to make Kruger break the hold. They're both looking real rough by this point because it has been about 15 minutes now. And yeah. I'm expecting a disqualification because they can't keep going. That was my prediction in my head of how this was going to go. But instead, Zane finally taps out on a very twisty arm submission hold. And I felt very bad for him because I'm pretty sure it was the same arm that Kruger had been working on the entire time. And I get that that's the story of it. And that ultimately, you know, they're professionals and they're not actually trying to dislocate the other's shoulder. But Zane sold it so well. Also, yeah. I don't think it's comfortable regardless. I just think it's tolerable. But geez. Yeah, it, it's a really great example of the story of the match being I'm going to tear apart this one limb or this one piece of your body. And it ends up like there are a few things more. I mean, OK, there are a lot of things frustrating in wrestling. But one of the frustrating <laughs> things in wrestling is when you like you see a match like this when it's like okay i'm gonna work the arm work the arm work the arm and then they win by like kicking them in the head <laughs> you know and it's like okay well that didn't that didn't do anything like that wasn't a story this is a story because he works the arm works the arm and then like wins by making him tap out with the arm hold and the coolest thing about it is that it doesn't make zane look weak at all it just means he got out wrestled yeah i did really appreciate that and i thought that was a, a unique thing <sighs> Like, we can't lie. Wrestling has a real masculine flavor to it. Yeah, it does. Typically, masculinity doesn't allow for a lot of like, I'm in pain and the pain is sufficient to make me go, I don't care for this anymore. Yeah. This doesn't do that. And you hear a lot of conversations from wrestling fans about, you know, pinfalls versus tap outs and like how if a guy taps out, you know, it makes him look worse than it would make him look if he was just pinned. But I agree. This does not do that at all. It fits the story of the match. It fits Kruger's character. It really puts him over as like this hunter, you know, Mm -hmm. this sort of precision, you know, targeting a body part, kind of like 
um, you know, assassin type character. Yeah. And uh, I just think it really works. I really enjoy this match. Backstage with Renee. <laughs> it's Neville, Graves, and Regal. Oh, my so, God. My sweet hobbit Neville does some talking. Sulky fairy prince Corey Graves does some talking. And then Regal chimes in. It's uh, like Neville's fine at talking. Graves is fine at talking. They're both they're, they're OK. And then Regal comes in. It's like, let me show you how it's done, boys. Yeah. And I grant you, it's all very basic. We're here to win stuff. And it's good. Like Regal's is clearly the best. But more importantly about Regal and his performance, what a fucking peacock of a man. Oh, my God. Like, his long, shaggy hair is so goddamn hot, though. Like, he, he purposefully keeps it just long enough to hang on to because he knows what he is doing. Questions. Is he a DILF? Inquiring <laughs> minds want to know. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think there's any question about it, but I nonetheless am going to put this up as a poll. I don't necessarily need everybody to agree with me, but you should agree with me about the DILF thing. And I just need to make sure. This is not a test of my theory. This is a test of whether or not you recognize the DILFosity that is contained within William Regal. <laughs> Match three. My other love, Mason Ryan. Yep. Enzo Amore comes out with Cassidy, gets on the mic to yag, and Ryan just nods like, yeah, fucking fine, I'll fight both of you. I ain't got shit else to do tonight except demolish <laughs> a bag of oats, so bring it. <laughs> also, quick aside, Cassidy has on underoos that in our first ever hashtag crotch watch, yeah. have realist in a 70s font across the crotch, and I realize <laughs> as I say that out loud, realist as in the most real, not as in the waypoint between optimist and pessimist. That would be a weird thing to have on your crotch. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Also, he still has the, uh, I believe it's the New York City skyline on his butt. So, sure hashtag does. butt watch. Uh, I don't give one quarter of a frick about Cassidy, but I admire his bold choices. So, this is a handicap match, so both Enzo and Cassidy get to take on Ryan at once. In the defining moment of the match... Ryan picks up Cassidy for a big move and Enzo takes out Mason Ryan at the knee. They have Ryan pinned and he kicks out just after the three count. Oh my fucking God. Mason Ryan lost. He is high on some pony rage, but I am so angry on his behalf. Mason Ryan, I will kill for you. I will <laughs> actually kill for you. You are too pure, too beautiful, too ponyful for this world. Enzo Amari, Cassidy, I swear vengeance against both of you. Uh, under normal circumstances, I uh, <laughs> I would be praising this match because I, I hate it when they do a handicap match where the one guy beats the two guys because it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I Because, like, that. there's two of them. But in this case, Enzo is like, you know, it's really like 1.5 guys. Mason Ryan should have won. Justice yeah. for Mason Ryan. Yes, from 2013. I demand <laughs> that we go back and fix this. Okay, so putting aside my fury and heartbreak, Dusty Rhodes comes out to announce that there's going to be a triple threat match with Cesaro, Kruger, and Zayn next episode. Yep. My Cesaro, Kruger meet cute is going to fall apart. Will the <laughs> tragedies of this night never end? 
So my only hope at this point is for my tag team boys to get their win against the Wyatt family. Right. So, all yep. right. How'd that go? Nah, not well. <laughs> Match four, the Wyatts enter. There's some ominous words from Papa Bear Bray Wyatt. Eric Rowan is wearing the all-important sheet mask for this. Then the good, good boys come out, or, you know, anti-hero boys, whatever you want to call them. I guess moderately better than the Wyatt family in terms of their moral standing. <laughs> Adrian Neville comes out and is like, for the Shire! Corey Graves is like, for the Fae! William Regal is like, for me, because I fucking deserve it! That's right. Ugh. The match is about to start, but we get this really short little family moment of Bray Wyatt tenderly taking the sheet mask off of Eric Rowan. Aww. I know, my heart. It was like it was like a dad helping a kid get their shoes on. I get that Eric Rowan is actually about two heads taller than Bray Wyatt, but it was still cute. <laughs> so first is Neville and Rowan. Neville is bouncing around and hitting low, tags in Regal, and he throws elbows and knees at Rowan, even though... Yeah, Rowan is touching the ropes, and I am loving this bad boy rule breaking from Regal. Harper gets tagged in, and once he's in the corner, Regal looks the ref in the face and repeatedly slams his heel into Harper's chest while counting along with the ref with his fingers. <laughs> and then he comes to the ref, getting the ref to turn his back and is going, I'm so terribly sorry, what a misunderstanding this has all been. While Neville starts copying Regal's heel kicks to Harper, and it's like he's copying dad, and it's so adorable. William Regal's a babyface in this match, but you can't take the, the British street fighter no. out of the wrestler. I was going to ask you, this is my one of my tag-ins, and I didn't have a better word for this, but is this puckishness just a Regal thing? Because I think he's the first trickster archetype wrestler I've seen. And I don't have a better word than trickster archetype. No, it's not just a regal thing, but it is a distinct flavor. Yeah, I'm so into it. Such a fun type. Especially in this case, it's one of those things you get when you've been a, a ruthless heel before <laughs> in your past. And like, sure, you're a baby face now, but like, you still got that in you. Like when Ric Flair at the end of his career, like he did this kind of shit all the time. Because like, yeah, okay, people are cheering for him now. That's great. He's still Ric Flair. <laughs> I didn't know Ric Flair was a heel. I, d I heard Nature Boy as a name oh. and went, oh, well, clearly he's a nice person. The the greatest heel in wrestling history, probably. Oh, wow. I, maybe we'll have to watch that for bonus content at some yeah. point. So the momentum shifts as Harper gets Neville close enough to Bray Wyatt to get him clocked in the head. And I'm just going, no, get out, Neville. You can't stay here. It's Wyatt territory. <laughs> it's a trade-off Fly, you Rowan. fools. Yeah. Trade off to Rowan, and then one of the grossest spine-bending submission holds I have ever seen. Mm. But Neville holds out, though, because I guess his bones are flexible like wet spaghetti. Like, his spine is bent. Neville think, takes a beating in this match. Yeah, and Brad Maddox, I think it was Brad Maddox, was like, he's going to break him in half. And I've seen people in yoga do stuff that's more extreme than that. But I haven't seen anybody in yoga ever do it because somebody else was forcing their spine to do it. <laughs> and that's real different. Yeah. So... I cannot describe every incredible thing that they're able to do with Neville, but there is one insane moment when Harper holds Neville vertically above him. Like, physics aren't real. So, all I can say is watch this match, people. You need to watch this match. It's very good. 
and Regal gets tagged in. It is brawling time. He just beats the absolute shit out of Harper. It does not look like he's pulling back very much either. He shoves him aside and then goes to the Wyatt corner and to throw in some extra hits. Jesus Christ, uh, this Dilf is out for blood. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on in this match uh, during the wrestling term of the week. Spoiler Ooh, alert. Okay, so he's got Harper in a pin and then Tormund Giants Bane is not going to let the hound go out like that. So Rowan right, comes yeah. in to get Regal in the back of the head while he's holding Harper. Then Corey Graves comes after Rowan. They're both outside the ring now. Neville isn't going to be left out. So he throws himself out of the ring after them. Harper crawls over to tag in Wyatt. And then, no, not my Regal. Wyatt does his finishing move on Regal and pins him and the match is over. Oh, it's a sick version of it, too. William Regal sells the shit out of Sister Abigail. Oh, not like this, NXT. Not like (laughs) this. He doesn't (laughs) even kiss Regal's forehead. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't kiss Regal's forehead. I think we talked during the section about um, Overness about the fact that it's often considered good form for older wrestlers to put over younger wrestlers by losing to them. So really, if you were watching the time, you probably expected Regal to be in there to take the pin for this match. You know, he's he's going to put over the young guys. But it's still kind of heartbreaking. You still really want Regal to just mangle them. I did. And I didn't know that that was kind of the purpose of the older wrestler. So I went in going, well, he's got to win. Why wouldn't he? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) But I get now that you're saying it, that that would be a misuse of that role to do that and sort of like hogging the spotlight for no good reason whenever you're not going to be using it for that much longer. Right. And when the goal is to make people care about these younger guys and make them look like believable wrestlers, believable fighters, believable threats, then, you know, yeah, it makes sense for the, you know, somebody that the crowd has heard of. It's like, oh, they beat him? Oh, they must be good, you know? Well, my heart took a real beating this episode. Well, that segues in nicely to uh, your opinion on this episode as a whole, Bob. I think we had a a pretty good idea. It sounds to me like you liked it, but uh, I did. definitely you were you were a little bit sad at sometimes. Is there anything else you want to add in terms of how you were feeling about this episode in general? I thought this episode was so strong and normally it takes me I have to watch it sometimes and then rewatch it to get and appreciate everything that's happening. But this is one of the ones where I felt able to be on the ride and understand the grammar of it enough to be on the edge of my seat throughout from the first time I watched it and was super, super into it, but also heartbroken because I wanted all my babies to get their way. <laughs> um, but I, I loved this episode a lot. Oh, I'm so glad. Except for Enzo Amore, fuck off. <laughs> I feel like I loved this except for Enzo Amore has been said more times by wrestling fans than you might imagine. <laughs> all right. Well, Bob, with that, I think it's time to transition into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw the utter indifference of William Regal during the backstage portion until Renee is paying attention to him. Oh, my God. It's that bored cat-like self-satisfaction, and it is delicious. He looked 
as though he didn't know Neville and Graves were talking. <laughs> and Miles, what did your elf eyes see? So, um, not to spoil anything, but pretty much all my stuff this episode are, are is William Regal related. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I actually have something from that moment as well, because uh, my elf eyes saw the look on Renee's face when Regal hit on her. Yeah! She was blushing like crazy, and it was like, oh my god, William Regal is hit on, hitting on me. And, like, he's older, but but damn. Yeah, he could get uh, it. it. Yeah. It was a whole mood, Renee Young's face, when I that know. happened. Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? Eric Rowan strikes me as the type of guy who doesn't floss. That was a line from commentary, I assume. It was. I missed that somehow. I was just struck by what a tidy summation of Eric Rowan's character that was. And, like, I didn't even have words for what all it, it summarized about him. But I think Brad Maddox said it, and I just went, yeah, you know what? You're right. He is a real non-flosser. And, like, fuck flossing. I'm not here to say that flossing is great. It sucks, and I'm not into it. And, uh... As my dentist can attest, I certainly don't do it often enough. But when you say that phrase, it means something. Now I just want Eric Rowan and Scott Dawson to feud over flossing. I know, I was kind of thinking that. Yeah, Dawson, like, really wants him to start, you know? (laughs) And he's fighting him over it. Instead of, like, a haircut match or something, it's a floss match. (laughs) It's a floss match. I know what a haircut match is because somebody explained it to me. But for anybody who doesn't know, I believe it is a match in which whoever loses has to get all their hair cut off. And so I'm assuming the floss match would be whoever loses has to either floss or stop flossing for a while. <laughs> Make it happen, WWE. No, clearly not as high stakes as this other kind. But there you go. You still employ both those men. Make it happen. Yeah. All right. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? I just, I you know, I mentioned it in the cheap pop quiz last time. That Regal promo, though, is just like, I'm still there. I'm still stuck on it. It's what I saw. It's what I heard. It might be what I felt. We'll see. But, like, the fact that he tells a story about headbutting the doctor who delivered him and transitions instantly into copying Adrian Neville's Newcastle accent... He did it all in the space of less than a minute, I think. It was just so brilliant. And then, from there, he even managed to put over Corey Graves' stupid stay down thing. Which sounded way better coming from Regal than it's ever sounded coming from Corey Graves. You know what? I Now I kind of appreciate put over in a whole new way because, yes, it added a, a layer of gravitas and sincerity to stay down that, boy, Corey Graves... For all of the cool things that he is capable of doing, that is not one. Man, I'm really glad we got that over term out of the way because now I can use it and I don't feel awkward about it. (laughs) All right, Bob, speaking of awkwardness, well, maybe, I don't know. But what did your human heart feel? My human heart felt not Mason Ryan, not (laughs) William Regal. Why? (laughs) I kind of figured that would be the answer. Uh. I mean, I'm trying to think if I felt anything else, but I think it's all been washed away by the torrent of emotions I had about that. That's fine. I'll tell you right now, without you even asking, my human heart had feelings about William Regal, too. Aww. I just loved seeing him in the ring again. Yeah. And it's 
when I first got into wrestling, he was he was going and he was great. And I've watched a lot of older stuff with him before I got into wrestling. He's just so good. I appreciate him so much as a wrestler, as a character. Like everything he does is phenomenal. And it was so cool to see him wrestle again. He is the only person. I don't know if I've said this before on the show. The only person thus far that I thought I would buy an eight by ten of them and put it up in my house somewhere. That's legit. That is legit. Like, I have a house that has nichos in it, so I could put, (laughs) like, you know, a santo or something in it. But no, I really want to put William Regal in it. Yeah. Somebody uh, somebody get Bob a William Regal action figure so she can put it in her uh, niche holes. Niche holes! (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever. (laughs) Whatever it was that you just said. Oh, nichos. Yeah, well, that's what I thought it was. I just thought you, I thought it was a niche hole, you know, like, oh, a, like okay. a niche. No, I was like, it, niche hole just to me sounded like such a sex thing, but such a weird sex thing. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is a niche hole? I'm not ready for this. The wrestling term of the week is the niche hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the wrestling term of the week, it is about time for that. But first, we have to get Bob's fanfic from last time. The wrestling term of the week from the last episode was suplex. So, Bob... What did you come up with for that? All right. The two Armstrongs were back to back in the ring. The ref lay unconscious on the apron, purposefully taken out by Ross Al Ghul to allow him and Talia to take on both Armstrongs at once. Oh. Ross stalked towards Alex Louis Armstrong, grabbing his arm with deceptive speed and putting him into a submission hold. Talia looked at the two of them. Come on, is this worth it? Is this how you want it to end? A tap out? Give in, you could join us. Ross leaned his weight on Alex, causing Alex's joint to pop audibly. Come now, alchemists, is this the best you have? Are you all that a mistress can offer? You're weaker than your little friend Roy. Talia made a move to sweep Olivier's feet from under her. She slid to the side. Who do you think you're talking to, Al Ghul? Alex, Armstrong suplex. (laughs) Prepare yourself, Al Ghul. You're about to be treated to the Armstrong family suplex, which has been passed down through generations. Alex, his sister yelled. Alex twisted out of the hold and grabbed Ross, tilting backwards, throwing Ross over him. Ross landed with a heavy thud on his front, momentarily stunned. Are you all right, sister? Do you need help? Don't patronize me, Alex. Olivier pulled Talia to her and suplexed her down on top of her father's back, both of them groaning audibly. Olivier picked up her sword from the apron. Well, the referee is still out. We'll call this done for now. The crowd cheered and a faint chant started, growing stronger. Sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. Alex looked apologetically at Olivier and smiled to the audience before posing dramatically. Ugh, I'll see you in the dressing room, Alex. Certainly, he answered, the light shimmering off his muscles in starbursts of light, much to the appreciation of the screaming crowd. Oh, beautiful. Simply beautiful. Thank you so much for that fanfic, Bob. Who uh, gave you those characters? Oh, yes, absolutely. I have to say thank you to Cosplay Fiend, who gave me those awesome character suggestions. And then thanks also to Neil Butler and Dan Mulcairin for their character consultation as I desperately tried to learn enough about these characters. (laughs) Thanks, guys. 
Yeah, submit characters uh, to Bob for these fanfics by hitting us up on Twitter at NXT Wrestling Fan or on Facebook at the NXT Wrestling Fan Podcast or email at NXT Wrestling Fan at gmail.com. Yes, please. And now it's time for this episode's Wrestling Term of the Week. The Wrestling Term of the Week is Hot Tag. Uh, that's real sexy. I'm already on board. The hot tag is a piece of wrestling grammar specifically related to tag team matches. And it's pretty easy to explain, honestly. We've talked before about how regular matches, like singles matches, have kind of a standard format. Well, tag team matches have one, too. And uh, we see great examples of it in both this episode and the next one. So not only will this wrestling term of the week help you contextualize this episode, it'll help contextualize the next one for you. So the format for a tag team match is actually really similar and closely related to the format for a singles match. So in a singles match, you know, uh, the baby faces, the good guys typically start the match strong, right? Looking really impressive and getting the crowd fired up. Same thing with a tag match. Then the bad guys, the heels take over. Now, in a tag team match, the part of the match where the heels are dominating the contest usually takes the form of the heel team members isolating one member of the babyface team and just like beating the crap out of them and punishing them. The heels tag in and out frequently, keeping themselves fresh while also keeping the isolated member of the babyface team in their corner, preventing him from making the tag to his partner. Mm. Um, and the heel team will all often use like dastardly tactics, distracting the referee, uh, stuff like that to hurt the isolated babyface more or to prevent them from making the tag. Uh, the wrestler being isolated typically takes a good amount of punishment during this part of the match and is referred to as the face in peril. Ah, OK. And this week's episode, obviously, the face in peril is being played by Adrian Neville, who probably takes a little bit more of a beating than you might usually see. But it's a pretty good beating. Yeah, I was amazed at his ability to take it. Yeah. Uh, now, in a typical singles match, there's usually the part where the baby face attempts to mount a comeback, but fails as the heel stops her momentum and brings her back down to the mat. This happens in tag team matches as well, with the face in peril often coming this close to making a tag, but yeah. coming up short time and time again. Finally, due to any number of circumstances, or just by catching a lucky break or hitting a lucky move, the face in peril is able to tag in her partner. One of their partners, in the case of a six-man tag, as we see in this episode, this specific tag... From the face in peril to their partner waiting on the ropes, who has been like begging for a chance to get in the match, is the hot tag. Once the hot tag is made, the other wrestler on the team comes in and it's like they got the superstar in Mario Brothers. <laughs> for at least a little while, they can't be touched. They take out everyone. They have goddamn superpowers. This is analogous to the moment in a singles match where the babyface comeback finally works, right? So from there, we move on to the finish. Now, in the match we watched for this episode, the hot tag was made to William Regal, yeah. who, of course, ultimately did end up getting pinned by Bray Wyatt. But for those few seconds after he made the hot tag, William Regal was untouchable. Because no matter who you are, the hot tag almost always gets you those fleeting moments of wrestling invincibility. Oh, I got thick feelings about it. That's fun. We're still going to give you two weeks to work on your fic for this one, Bob. And the reason is because on the next episode, we have Elle Collins here on the show. 
Yes, we are very excited to have them on. Elle Collins, for those who don't know, is a writer at With Spandex, which is the Uproxx pro wrestling page. We love them. We love their work. And we're very excited that they're going to be coming on our show. All right, Bob. So, uh, you know what? We haven't done Guess the Gimmick in a while. We haven't. Let's do a little bit of Guess the Gimmick. All right. I'm, my guessing muscles are ready. All right, Bob. This episode's Guess the Gimmick comes to us from Mega Dumbcast on Twitter, <gasps> a.k.a. Chris Newton. Hi, Chris. And so the wrestler that you are going to put into your Google image search, Bob, is Pete Dunn. For those who don't know, the Guess the Gimmick segment is where one of you out there gives us the name of a wrestler that Bob doesn't know. She plugs that name into Google Image Search and tells us what she thinks that wrestler's deal is. So, Bob, Pete Dunn, what do you think? Uh, I don't know what I'm looking at. I, um, <laughs> okay. Clearly a hard case. Clearly a tough guy. Very sneery. Very sneery. He's wearing sometimes a fur vest. Has a real <laughs> yes. scowl on his face. Has the deepest, you know, V-neck. Well, it's not a V. It's a U-neck. We're not seeing areolas, but not for lack of trying. Yeah, so that's like a um, kind of a traditional wrestling singlet, as it's called. Ah. That wide you dipping down to just barely not expose the nipples is a very traditional style of wrestling outfit. I think he looks like a hipster, but like a feral <laughs> hipster. So I think he was raised in the wild and okay. then was captured by hipsters and exposed to artisanal coffee, but, you know, maintains his feral roots. What, was he captured by hipsters or was he like himself, the children of hipsters, but left alone to survive in the wild, do you think? Oh, is the, boy. Is the, the hipsterness nature or nurture is what I'm asking you. I think the hipsterness is nurture because I think okay. he maintains a mostly feral persona. And so right. I think this is a thin veneer of hipsterism laid over somebody who is willing to just eat a live animal. It's true that the fur coat on him is like it looks out of place and it feels like, you know, kind of what it looks like when you dress up an animal in like human clothing. Yeah, there's a certain element of that. Yeah, I can totally see that. I like that. I've only seen Pete Dunne wrestle in WWE and NXT, but I've never seen anything where it's like I'm Pete Dunne. This is my backstory. Okay. You know what I mean? So I think honestly, like we're free to speculate on this one. Like I think the whole feral raised by hipsters thing is as far as I'm concerned, that's canon. Yeah, it's canon now. This is what Pete Dunne's story is. Is that why he holds the, the title belt in his mouth all the time? It is. It's just sort of a, a nervous chewing behavior. <laughs> Right on. I mean, honestly, like, it fits. All right, Chris Newton, we have figured out the mystery of Pete Dunn. If you want to tell us what Pete Dunn's actual deal is, if you have hidden lore about the true nature of Pete Dunn's origin story, we are very excited to hear it, though. Yeah, if you know more than me, if you follow the British Indies, which I definitively do not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you do, then... You should definitely tell us more about Pete Dunne if you are if you know more than me on the subject, because until you do, we are going to continue to assume that he was a feral child left in the wild and eventually adopted and raised by hipsters 
who taught him the proper way to wrestle. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bob, it's about time for us to start heading out. But first, as always, we got to do the cheap pop quiz. Yeah. All right, Bob, here we go. Question number one. And I I should say question number one, specifically designed with uh, Neil Butler in mind. Next episode, we will have our latest example of a wrestler from the WWE main roster doing a guest spot in NXT. His name is Seamus. How stereotypically Irish is he? A, he has red hair, extremely pale skin, and a real Irish accent because he's actually Irish. B, he has red hair, extremely pale skin, and a terrible Irish accent because he's not actually Irish. C, he is actually Irish, but he doesn't have red hair and being Irish isn't part of his gimmick. Or D, he's not Irish, he doesn't have an Irish gimmick, and the fact that his name is Seamus is kind of mystifying, to be frank. Okay, so I think I've seen him in something. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's A. Okay. He looks Irish and he is Irish. If he's not, then I was fairly impressed by having the look down. Okay, so your answer for that one is A. Question number two. Also on the next episode, you will get your first glimpse of a new NXT regular who goes by the name of Tyler Breeze. Oh, ooh. Which fictional character inspired his gimmick? Is it A, Captain Jack Sparrow from the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise? B, Mad Max Rokotansky from the Mad Max franchise? C, Derek Zoolander from Zoolander? Or D, Scarface from Scarface? Wow, these are very different types. Okay, judging by that name, and then also what 2013 was like, Uh I'm going to say Jack Sparrow. So your answer is A. I will also let you know, Bob, that uh, all of those characters have inspired pro wrestlers at one point or another. I want them. I want them. (laughs) And question number three. In the next episode, we will see our first triple threat match, as you alluded to. Aside from the fact that there's obviously an extra person, what is the difference between a triple threat match and a regular singles match? Is it A, triple threats are elimination matches. Once one competitor is pinned or tapped out, the other two continue fighting to determine the winner. Is it B, triple threats are sudden death matches. The first person to pin or submit either of the other two wins, and as a result... All triple threats are no disqualification, because if you disqualify one person, nobody can win the match. Is it C? Triple threats are no disqualification, but that's because the competitors get to bring their own personalized weapons to the ring, hence the threat part of the name. Or is it D? Triple threats are similar to tag team matches and handicap matches. Two participants are allowed in the ring at the same time. The third must tag in, but he can tag either of the others. Ah, they all sound pretty plausible. I'm going to say B. B? 
So there's sudden death matches where the first person to pin or submit either of the other two wins, and as a result, they are all no disqualification. That's what I'm feeling. Okay, B is your response. We will find out how you did on this cheap pop quiz on the next episode. Before we uh, we head out, Bob, can we get an update on Sugar Beet Harvest? Oh, man, we can get a quick update on Sugar Beet Harvest. I just wanted to say I read the fic. It's called Children of the Sun. And it is the second part of two fics called See America Right. It's mainly between Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, and they're the kind of the focus of it. But we do get to see Connor O'Brien and Rick Victor as these weird sort of transient living in a trailer, traveling around, doing uh, farm work seasonally. And it was a grim look at living in America (laughs) on the fringes of society in terms of your financial stability and your place stability and Connor O'Brien and Rick Victor in it are conspiracy theorists with a million tattoos. Wow. And also a book of conspiracy theories that they have written all over, but they are together. So yeah, children of the sun is definitely worth checking out. And it is by Sanadine on AO3 archive of our own. And which very touched my heart. I got in touch with them to say, hey, this fanfic is amazing. And they were willing to let me say this on the podcast and, you know, give them a shout out and stuff. And um, said, hopefully your listeners will like bleak truck stop fucking and sugar beets. (laughs) And fuck yeah, Sanadine. Fuck yeah, we do. If I know our listeners, I'm pretty sure that you have found your audience <laughs> yes so if you would like to go check that out please do leave uh, a kudos or a comment to say you know thank you for this fantastic and interesting fanfic that you have written so yeah i just yeah. want to share that with you and now comes the part of the show where we thank everybody who has interacted with us through the magic of the internet so Normally, Miles is able to be here and record this section with me separately, but he wasn't able to be here this time. So it's just me flying solo. So I'm going to do the best I can, guys. I promise. All right. First of all, thank you so much to everybody who responded overwhelmingly whenever I reached out through the Internet to say, please send me characters. I'm running out of characters for the fanfic. You guys went above and beyond. You came up with some out-of-the-box stuff that is wild, and I am so excited to see it. And then I also wanted to say thank you to everybody who responded whenever we asked, well, okay, if Paige gets a level up and goes from the Paige Turner to the Paige Master, what would that look like? So Danny Black's and ENT responded with a move that Seth Rollins did on Finn Balor, which I'm not sure what it's called. If only Miles was here, we would know. So thank you. I really appreciate that. And then we also got one from Neil Butler. And his suggestion was either some sort of slam, maybe like a fireman's carry slam, or some sort of submission move with a bridge, like a bridging cross-face chicken wing. I'm sure somebody out there is yelling right now and telling me what that is. But I'm going to save it, and then you can message me and tell me what it is. That way I can go, oh, and then retweet it. And then Lucas Brown responded with the idea that the Page Master would be a modified Sky High. 
because they start together, then fall open like a book. And he sent us a GIF of it on Twitter. And you know, it does look quite book-like. And then whenever suggestions for what would you call such a book, Dan Mulcairn leapt in with the Slammerillion, A Slam for All Seasons, and Slam and Punishment. I have to say, the Slammerillion, uh, it just fills my heart with so much joy. Just the fact that that word is out there now in the ether. Good job. I mean, I don't know if it's what J.R.R. Tolkien would have wanted, but it's what I personally wanted, so I'm quite delighted. And then one last thing, I wanted to give a shout out to Brian C., D20 Chick, and Joe Man 47 for their reviews of the show and getting in on this review drive that we are having and the drawing for a bonus episode of your choice. And just a reminder that this is the last two weeks for the review drive. So on the 30th of November, we will be closing this particular review drive and we will be picking the name out of the electronic hat and finding out who gets to choose what our bonus episode is. So if you would like to get in on this particular drawing, make sure that you get your review into wherever you review your podcasts before 11-30-2019. So whoever's name comes out of the drawing, you get to choose what it is that Miles and I cover in the style of The Next Wrestling Fan, whether that be an episode of Lucifer which I imagine Miles and I would have quite a lot to say about that. Or if you have a match that you would really like me to watch, I will watch a ladders and the other things that happen with ladders kind of match for this. TLC, tables, ladders, and chairs. That's it. Guys, I remembered something. Oh, all right. I got to end now on this high note. Okay. So it's lovely talking to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. So bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. This... Uh, you know what? I'm not going to tell you who who's in it yet. I don't think that you're going to be in any doubt about who it is. Well, half of it you might be. Unless you've watched The Thing, but you may not have. Not The Thing, the movie, but The Thing in, like, as an... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Whenever I say it, just The yes, Thing? Yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> Thank God I explained it. Okay. Damn you, John Carpenter, for making a movie called The Thing, so now we have to clarify that. <laughs> the Thing with a small T, not a big T. <laughs>